0: You're listening to <laughs> Valley Free Radio, the most controversial station in the Valley. And this is Vegan Radio, the, the most controversial, controversial show. show on Valley Free Radio. Rocket, baby.
1: <laughs> I disagree. I don't think it's as controversial as other shows.
2: <laughs> really? Think about all those people that are, ah, uh, those vegans, those crazy vegans. They don't know what they're talking about.
1: I suppose it could get more controversial. <laughs> I think we're going to get pretty controversial today, actually. That's right. Today.
2: We're going to have the vegan abolitionist on our show. That's
1: right. And it's not somebody who wants to abolish veganism. Thank goodness. <laughs> not another one of those. Nope. It's an abolitionist who happens to be vegan Gary no, Francione. Yep. Food. And as we are about uh, 50 yards away from a statue of Sojourner Truth, it's so appropriate.
2: Mm. Here, here.
0: Oh, yeah? We are indeed. So maybe someday there will be a statue of Gary Francione made out of melted pennies.
1: Yes, I think so. <laughs> Probably right in cool. the same
0: place. <laughs> yes, listeners, the show you've been waiting for.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Derek, Scott, Megan, and Gary Francione.
0: Abolitionism versus welfareism in the animal rights movement.
1: That's right. Should we take better care of our slaves, or should we abolish slavery altogether? That's right. That was often a question back in the day.
0: And for those of you who are still eating meat, you have a bigger ethical dilemma to confront. And we'll help guide you through it. We'll
2: hold your hand. Vegan radio. (laughs) (laughs) Because... uh, Guiding you day by day.
0: You probably don't know what the heck we're talking about. (laughs) Maybe not. Um, So that's what this show is going to have in a little bit. We also have some news. There's a... uh, vote coming up. Some kind of... uh, For the president? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Tonight are the uh, vice presidential debates. Oh, that's right. Which uh, I don't know if they're worth watching. I was just listening to uh, Democracy Now! today. They were talking about how there's a non-profit organization that is kind of in the pockets of the Democrats and Republicans that devises the whole debate scheme and won't let any third parties in. And Well, don't you yeah. have somebody
1: new hosting the debates tonight?
0: Um, it's some PBS woman.
1: I see. Well, I don't mean the person, but uh, a new organization.
0: Oh no! Not, not it, according people. to not according to the <laughs> Democracy Now.
1: Oh, okay, okay. So Which is another
0: fine show on this very radio station. Indeed, it is. But not as controversial as Vegan Radio. No.
2: Isn't something coming up about decriminalizing um, marijuana?
0: Oh yes. Yeah, so well, that's what I was getting to. <laughs> but first, <laughs> let's talk up. In a
3: roundabout way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> My question, uh, I don't know if it's Save one or two, us. but uh, question number three in, in Massachusetts, we have these um, ballot questions, which are, um, you know, little questions that the residents of Massachusetts get to answer and they're non-binding, right? I, I don't think even if we pass some of these referendums, they don't necessarily become law, but it shows the uh, politicians that the their constituents really want these laws passed Um, And there's one about decriminalizing marijuana, and there's one about abolishing state sales tax, or is it just income tax?
1: Uh, I believe it's the
0: sales tax. Sales tax. And um, the third one, it has an animal rights objective. All right. And that is uh, the Greyhound Protection Act, which would abolish greyhound racetracks in the state of Massachusetts. Beautiful. Abolish. Beautiful. How
2: many times has this been on the ballot?
0: Um, I think this is the third time. And, the uh, you know, the greyhound industry has a lot of money behind it, whereas your average animal rights activist doesn't. So it's uh, grassroots action to get this passed. And, you know, Gary Francione, our guest, is against uh, all these propositions that would um, give farm animals better conditions, but I'm not sure how he feels about propositions that don't have to do with farm animals, such as this greyhound thing, so that's a question I want to ask him. But from the uh, animal rights point of view, um, Grey2K is one of the big organizations behind this ballot initiative, and they want you to say yes on three.
2: And also, Gary Francione is against, like, you know, improving treatment of animals. But if this is like abolishing greyhound racing, I don't see why he wouldn't be for Just, that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure, you know, anyth- I would not necessarily say he's against things that uh, improve the conditions of animals, but he sees those as, uh, you know, getting in the way of the campaign to abolish it because of the right. attitudes that it fosters. So um, we can, I don't yeah. know, we can definitely get more from him about that.
2: Yeah, well, like improving the treatment. That's what I meant. To
0: okay, me. we just got a caller who t- informed us that the uh, the propositions are binding. Oh, well, <laughs> so,
1: beautiful.
2: Somebody's listening!
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, You know, here we are, like, not answering the phone. because <laughs> uh, They couldn't possibly be our guest. <laughs> well, <laughs> if we were talking
0: about veganism, they probably wouldn't have called in. But... <laughs> true, uh, true. Okay, so um, we're telling people
2: uh, vote yes on yes three. Yes on
0: three. Yes on three. But we'll, we'll have to re- ask... Gary, how he feels about this. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he'll say no on three. Because um, there a, there's a proposition in California right now, Proposition 2, a similar thing, but they're trying to get better conditions for factory farmed animals.
2: Right. He's no on that.
0: He's definitely no on that. And uh, we'll have him talk about the reasons why he's no on that. Um, <clears throat> and our, the listener who just called in also said that if the state tax gets abolished, we will lose... 40% of the state revenue. Wow. Going That's into a, a recession. Wow. So, so what's the point? <laughs> the point is uh well, you know, it's probably one of those libertarian type things where no government is the best government.
1: Um uh, yeah, I it's suppose. It's so
2: interesting though because our they I don't know. I just I'm not convinced like where our taxes are actually going because if you if you talked to um there's like a tax resistor organization around here. If you talk to them, I don't think that they would necessarily agree.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a tough question um, as far as that. I think it would be better not to pay federal taxes because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> they go to wars and things. Uh, state taxes yeah, or if you go could... more towards our roads and infrastructure. And... So they say. Right, or if it could so be apportioned
1: say. in some way. You could yeah, choose where it would, it would be go. Good,
0: yeah, if we could vote on how the taxes are spent, that would be the best way to run a democracy. Well, we'll see.
4: So On with it, darling.
0: That's my news. What do you got, Scotty?
1: <laughs> well, I have a few things from the internet, but uh, <coughs> man, you totally fishbowled this studio. <laughs> <laughs> um, first piece of news, uh, apparently, reportedly, from Icarazzi, Ellen DeGeneres, your hero and mine, has gone vegan.
2: Yeah. It was a little gray. It was, officially. it was a gray area for a while. Yes. We knew her wedding was catered completely vegan, but...
1: She was
0: on the fence.
2: She was on the fence, Now I she's think. in
0: the pasture.
1: Yep. It's apparently...
2: uh <laughs> out of the now pasture. Now she's
1: grazing on vegetables. She's out of the pasture. Yep. She, this was uh, the person at Icarazzi, uh has said that it uh, came from the horse's mouth uh, at a proposition <laughs> at a Prop 2 benefit in LA. She fell, officially came out as a full-fledged vegan.
0: Well, there, there you go, Gary Francione. We have uh, Prop 2 has we've, converted we've one Alan. person to veganism.
1: Yeah, or just hanging around all those vegans, <laughs> perhaps. So that's our first bit of news, and I'm not going to get into too many details about that because it's so early. <laughs> so uh, early. But just uh, good for so you, good for Ellen. I'm sure you'll have many really great quips that go on forever about veganism very soon. And uh, smoother movements. <laughs> yes, no <laughs> doubt.
2: I, wa- I wanted to have the, the vegan... The vegan monologue, and now Ellen DeGeneres is going to have
0: it. Oh yeah, oh. yep. She's she's doing better than Oprah, that's for sure.
1: That's right. But uh, we'll this will see we'll see whether uh, veganism makes her more or less funny. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, she'll have more jokes, more jokes about uh, protein and stuff, probably.
1: No doubt. Protein. Uh, let's see. Uh, from our friends at PETA, there's a campaign to uh, remind people that. Uh, going vegetarian will improve your uh, ability to um, get it up.
2: <laughs> They've already done that campaign. Oh, come on. We
1: all know that. This is old news. <laughs> okay, let's pass on that. <laughs> Everyone knows. So let's are you move talking on. about pita
0: on a Gary Francione show?
1: I mean, it's pretty obvious. You know, if your if your lines are clogged with fatty deposits, um, you know, things aren't gonna. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. you men definitely... out there
0: who think uh, eating meat makes you more manly. It, it actually makes you. Less likely to succeed in the, the bedroom. bedroom.
1: Yeah, plus a little bit more aggressive, but that's okay.
0: That's why vegans are better lovers.
1: Because with aggression, you can fight your your own impulses. And as we've said
0: before, <laughs> vegans taste better too. So better lovers all around, and we taste great. Story number three: <laughs> taste great, less filling. Oh, Coming up: he's veganism.
2: Test the boundaries.
1: Vegan diet. According to, uh, <laughs> a vegan diet may do a better job of reducing cardiovascular disease in diabetic patients than a diet recommended by the American Diabetic Association, according Scott, to this is all new old study. news. Where's the new news? Well, this is from October 1st right here. I know. It's, it's n- new, new news. It's yeah, in the news. It's but... in the
2: news, but it's, these are definitely reoccurring themes, but they're, they're great okay. reoccurring themes.
1: Okay. Well, in this case, uh, I don't know if this is a new study, but uh, t- maybe you've heard some of the details. 99 participants had type 2 diabetes. Uh, they were recruited through a newspaper ad in Washington D.C., uh, and uh, they went on a low-fat, low-glycemic low vegan diet. Vegan diet.
0: Is this put nice. on by the uh, Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine? Uh, um, um, um. <laughs> Who knows? You know how the Center for Consumer Freedom feels about
1: them, Scott? Ooh, they don't No, like how, yeah. Well, actually, it was.
0: They say they're a, a
1: front group for PETA. <laughs> they? I don't know. I mean, they certainly are. I suppose they're sympathetic with some of the same. Aims, but you know, these are physicians, and their real aim is to uh, improve health health. preventatively uh, as opposed to uh, you know, promoting, say, after the fact taking drugs. Uh, And so, naturally, they come into some conflict with people who would rather let the cattle out there that's you and me get sick Mm. and then feed us drugs and things.
2: And if you want more information on the connection between veganism and how it can improve diabetes i think brenda davis who's i don't been, know if
0: it improves diabetes
2: i did i just say improves like woo! <laughs> improves conditions of diabetes brenda davis is a, a vegan registered dietitian for the past 20 years and she's done a lot of research on. or that. check
0: out the largest study on nutrition ever the china study by t colin campbell right now out in book form that's I think, right
2: i think it's Colin Campbell, isn't
0: it? Colin Colin. (laughs)
1: That's right. And uh, then the FAO report. You know my predilections. (laughs) Check out the FAO report as well, um, which we constantly point to these things. Um, In another story, and this is relevant a little bit, apparently the uh, speechwriter for Sarah Palin, uh, Matthew Scully, the man Uh, behind Palin's speech at the convention, in which she, uh, you know, Made all kinds of jabs using oh. uh, inaccurate but conventional wisdom at uh, at uh, Barack Obama. Yes, he's a vegetarian.
2: He's a vegan, I thought. Yeah, well, and he, he wrote, wrote a wrote this... book called Dominion. Yeah, he wrote a book called Dominion about the basically the religious connection to veganism and Religulous. and how the Bible supports vegetarianism and veganism. And he wrote Stella, Sarah Palin's speech, me yep. so. who, as we know, is awful to animals. Yeah, I don't get it. Um, I don't get get it, it, Scott.
1: Well, you know the thing is, you know, if you want, he's a
0: Republican, right-wing Christian, and he likes money.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about any of that, (laughs) but uh, yeah, I suppose he may be. Uh, But I guess uh, you know, if you want to have a good influence, you have to. Sometimes you have to hang around people who may give you a little bit of a a oogie feeling. Oogie, yeah. So Uh, apparently,
0: this speech was written before the Republican convention. It was when she was using and she just kind of modified it for the format of the convention. Oh my god. Oh, I see. She just
2: has a general format speech that she goes around.
0: Well, apparently I've, I've also heard that she's been using the same speech since the convention. She goes to towns and they uh you know they the they don't let reporters ask her any questions or anything. She just gives the same talk over and over and This is ridiculous. Wow. Just like Mark Twain. She's uh <laughs> So who knows what's going to happen to her tonight. She's, but uh, with the, the Republicans and the Democrats have these contracts, how the whole uh, debate's going to play out pretty much. So. Yeah.
1: I'm tuning in to see whether uh, Sarah or, or Joe Biden is going to be wearing more makeup. And <laughs> <laughs> oh. our fifth story, mad cow disease may also be caused, or apparently is also caused by genetic mutation. Yep, new findings. Uh, this is from ScienceDaily.com. Uh, new findings about the causes of mad cow disease show that sometimes it may be genetic. We now know it's also in the genes of cattle," said Jürgen erect, Regent's distinguished professor of diagnostic medicine and pathobiology at Kansas State University's College of Veterinary Medicine. Until several years ago, Richt said, it was thought that cattle prion disease, bovine spongiform encephalopathy, also called BSE or mad cow disease, was a food-borne disease. But his team's new findings suggest that mad cow disease also is caused by genetic mutation within a gene called prion protein gene. Prion proteins are proteins expressed abundantly in the brain and immune cells of mammals. The research shows for the first time that a 10-year-old cow from Alabama with an atypical form of BSE had the same type of prion protein gene mutation as found in human patients with the genetic form of CJD, uh, or Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease.
0: Now I've, so I've, this means... I mean, when I first started researching the mad cow disease when it, when it was big in England and stuff, um, the creutzfeldt jakobs disease was known to spontaneously occur in humans, so it doesn't seem like this is that big of a... Discovery probably not. I mean, no.
2: But it, what it, that does mean is that no matter how clean you keep your meat, I, it still doesn't well,
0: matter. Well, there's there's no way to kill it in meat. but right. I'm saying.
2: But well, really high. I
0: guess you know if they if they can kill all the cows that they find with the disease, there's still going to be more occurring.
1: My guess is the general idea is that since they can determine that there are certain prions that show or prions, I guess it is, uh, certain prions show this, you say prion, this I say mutation. Prion. <laughs> they can weed out the ones that would be harmful as opposed to the ones which would be innocuous. And mm. so they may be able to develop a genetic test to make uh, mm. the things that people sometimes eat more safe. I see. Uh, There's no way to make meat safe. No, well, it's a, It's just not a, not a great thing. Of course, we're here, we're here for that reason, aren't we? That's right. <laughs> uh, and in our sixth <laughs> <To debunk> story... <laughs> the myths. We're the myth busters of the vegan movement. <laughs> uh, let's uh, talk a little bit about Chinese milk. Moo. Mm. Now, apparently in China, it's, uh, they've determined that 12% of the milk products that they tested were tainted with melamine, which is uh, uh, peculiar stuff that when you put it in milk uh, and water it down, it makes it look like it's still whole because it it comes out in their tests as um, protein.
2: So we talked about this one a couple weeks ago,
1: I think. We did. Now, we talked about uh, the initial recall. Uh, Now they've done some tests and determined that apparently uh, as much as 12%, maybe more, of the dairy products produced in China are tainted in this way. And the thing is that uh, if we're we're only limited to China, uh, it might not be a big deal for us, Um, but apparently uh, they powder the stuff, and then they distribute it all over the place to places like Heinz and uh, Cadbury.
2: So we're getting some of this milk.
1: Uh, Yeah, well, there was a a recall uh, on Tuesday. That's uh, two days ago. Uh, Yep, apparently they were the third multinational food group in less than a week to issue a product recall linked to uh, (laughs) the melamine scandal, uh, highlighting weaknesses in global food safety practices. Unilever said it would stop using Chinese milk powder for some products after it found melamine, an industrial chemical that has made thousands of Chinese children sick, in batches of Lipton-branded tea powders exported to Hong Kong.
2: Isn't it just easier to go vegan? <laughs> it's so much easier. It's so much healthier.
1: Uh, yeah, I suppose so. And, you know, we could talk about the EPA's rocket ad- rocket fuel additive uh, ruling recent- that was recently done uh, that kind of implicates i mean all the vegetables and everything that comes out of the ground uh and everything and all of our water uh has this rocket fuel additive in it uh we don't know how much and now the EPA has decided not to rule and come up with a standard for how much of that stuff would be safe so you know when you're eating spinach you're getting oh a little God. rocket fuel additive in it and there's really not much we can do about it unless we uh, like totally eliminate all use of rocket fuels
0: like I said last week, I am, I am the rocket man. <laughs> um, so we have Gary Francione coming up. You're listening to v- Vegan Radio on Valley Free Radio 103.3. And we're going to have a little musical interlude, and we'll be right back with Gary Francione. Hello, Professor Francione. Are you there?
4: Uh, yes, I'm here. Hi. How are you?
0: Great. How are you doing?
4: I'm very well, thank you.
0: Gary Francione is a distinguished professor of law, and Nicholas D.E.B. What is that? Nicholas
4: D.B. Kotzenbach. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Maybe you should do your own.
4: <laughs> Nicholas D.B. Kotzenbach, scholar of law and philosophy. Uh,
0: at Rutgers University School of Law in Newark. It's great to have you on the show.
4: Thank you very much for having me, Derek.
0: You're welcome. Uh, we also have uh, Megan and Scott here.
2: Hi, Hi Gary. Hey, Hi, Gary.
4: Megan. Hi, Scott.
0: <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Let's start off just with a quick... Well, I know you like to give long answers, but... <laughs> <laughs> hey, come on. Oh. You're not supposed to bait the guests. That's <laughs> 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 uh, just a, a definition of the, the difference between abolitionism and welfareism and animal rights.
4: Well, the abolitionist position, as I've articulated, takes the view... That uh, we ought to be working for the abolition of exploitation, not the regulation of exploitation, uh, putting aside the, um, the, the the doctrinal moral differences between abolition and regulation regulation simply doesn 't work all uh, all regulation does is make people feel better about animal exploitation it does not in
2: People say, "Well, when you try to promote veganism, that it's too much for people, and that it, it just turns them off."
4: That's nonsense. That is utter nonsense. Um, I mean, as long as we keep saying that, as long as we keep telling ourselves that, well, you know, it's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, I, I cannot tell you. I mean, I'm a one-person operation. I mean, I don't have an, I don't have a, a a big animal corporation behind me. I don't have uh, billions of dollars uh, and. I'm just a professor at Rutgers. All I do is a website, I teach my classes, I write my books, and I go around and I give lectures. I get dozens every month of emails and letters from people w- where I've given lectures or they've heard me on a show like this or they've read something I've written, they've read a blog essay or whatever, and they said, you know what, I've never really thought about it that way, and you're absolutely right, that you know there really is no difference between Michael Vick and his fighting dogs. That was the big, and the last year that all the animal people were all, all excited about, you know, Michael Vick and his fighting dogs. And, and, you know, my position was, hey, look, you know, if we're eating animals, we're no, we're no different from Michael Vick. So, you know, let's put the racism aside. Some people like to sit around and, and watch dogs fight. Some people like to sit around the barbecue pit or around their ice cream, you know, Sundays or whatever. Uh, and it's all really the same. And, and, uh, but, you know, when you confront people with, with that sort of analysis and you're clear about it, and, you know, it, it, I, I find people respond to it very, very well. And when people say to me, things like, well, you know, I'd like to go vegan. As a matter of fact, today, right before I called you all for the show, I was responding to an email I got from a young person who um, who wrote and said, you know, that, that she had uh, listened to an interview. I think it was an interview I did on, with uh, Bob and Jenna Torres on Vegan Freaks. But she had listened to a, a, a podcast, and yeah. um, and she she wanted to go vegan, but she just, you know, she, she just didn't know, she didn't know if she could do it right off the bat. And, and I wrote, I was, I, I wrote back her and said, of course you can. It's very, very easy. Um, and, and I said, you know, and if you can't, then the solution is to do it gradually. You know, I what I recommend that people do is, you know, vegan one, two, three, you know, start off with one meal a day that's vegan. Um, you know, start off with breakfast that's, do that for a couple weeks and see that your arms and legs don't fall off and you don't go blind and everything's just fine. And then um, you go to your second meal vegan and then your third meal vegan and then you just, you know, veganize all your snacks. But, um, but but you know, and it's easy. You can do it. It's, when I became a vegan 26 years ago, it was a bit more difficult, let me tell you. <laughs> it, was, nice. it was a bit more difficult. I still remember um, the the nausea that I felt when I had my first soy ice cream um i was just going to
2: say that that howard lyman said that the vegan ice creams were awful
4: awful isn't awful (laughs) isn't the word it was like it was like do you remember uh did you ever see that like lardy stuff called crisco you know it was like it was like like cold crisco it was absolutely it was absolutely horrifying and 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 there wasn't you know there really wasn't a, a whole you know i mean there, there weren't a lot of choices. Particularly, I mean, I, you know, I, I eat a lot of raw foods now, and I'm much. I'm much more conscious about, and smarter about the sorts of, of, uh, of, of that I eat. But back then I was eating processed foods and, 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 and I didn't think I could live. I was, you know, I was, an, I was an American. I didn't think you could live without processed foods. <laughs> and, and so I, so I, I was eating things like, you know, the, the, the big Franks and the, you know, the vegan Franks and the can, which, you Ooh. know, probably had, had more nitrates and nitrites in them than, than they had anything else, but. But you know, there really weren't a lot of things back then, and and um, you know, things are a lot it's a lot easier now. But no, I, I, I don't agree at all. I mean, I think I think you see, I think what's really dangerous is is this idea that you know you have all these large organizations promoting you know happy meat, um, you know, and and, uh, and that, that's that's what's if you have people um, like the leaders of this supposed movement. And you have people like Peter Singer and these folks saying you can fulfill your moral obligations to animals by eating cage free eggs. You know, that's a really morally significant thing to do. You tell people that that's what they you know, that that's all they need to do to satisfy their moral obligations to animals, and you know what? That's all they will do. Yep. And and so I think that, you know, I mean it it's very interesting. Um, I've had some correspondence with a a large supermarket chain in um in Britain because I was reading uh, Pol- the world poultry News, one of the many fascinating things that I read and um, and they were talking about this supermarket chain their happy chicken uh, you know their high, high, what they call higher welfare chicken had increased the sales had increased I think it was sixty percent since last year, so I wrote to the chain to the uh, customer service people and I asked them if that meant that they were simply selling you know w- 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 were people switching from from non or lower welfare chicken or whatever you want to call it to higher welfare chicken or were they overall selling more chicken and they wrote back to me and they said no no they were selling overall more chicken so this happy meat stuff is actually increasing the consumption of animal products and, and because people feel better about it they say well you know I was I've been vegetarian for a couple of years I haven't eaten any meat but I'm going back to it now because I don't feel bad about it anymore and you know what get online Google it or Yahoo it or you know, research it in Lexus or Nexus and you'll find hundreds of articles in the past couple of years, uh, hundreds of articles in major newspapers and magazines about people who were vegetarian or vegan and are going back to eating animal products because they feel now their conscience has been cleared because this stuff involves a lot less suffering. And see, I think that, that's what I call defeatist. I think that's, I think that's a crazy strategy. I understand why, it, why it's being pursued because, you know, these organizations are basically businesses and you make people feel good by telling them, oh, you know, you can, you can join the animal movement by eating, you know, a, a Burger King veggie burger or going to, you know, you know, a KFC in Canada and eating a gassed chicken or whatever they're, you know, Pete is promoting these days. But, you know, you can, you can be an animal advocate by eating gassed chicken. Um, you know, and, and that makes people feel good. They, they can sit down, they, they write their checks to these organizations and say, yes, I'm an animal person. And so I think that this is just crazy. And, and, and um, you know, so my view is, look, let's just focus on veganism. Um, you know, uh, that's, that's the way to reduce suffering in the short term and in the long term. It reduces suffering and death in the short term by decreasing demand. And, and, and every person that becomes a vegan for ethical reasons, um, you know, becomes part of, of, of a move, becomes part of a movement, I'm not, you know, um, uh, uh, and and I believe a significant movement um, that will one day be able to uh, change things uh, in uh, in meaningful ways, rather than what we're doing now. Because you know, this animal welfare stuff also, it doesn't, it's not that it's reducing suffering. I mean, it really isn't. I mean, you know, have you ever been to a cage free facility? Um, no. it, 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 it's <laughs> like, I mean, what's the difference between a conventional battery cage and a, and, a, and a cage-free facility? Answer, the cage-free facility is one large cage as opposed to a bunch of smaller cages. But it's a, they're horrible. I mean, they're absolutely right. horrible.
1: Right, they're still de-beaking and things like that. Oh, I'm
4: absolutely. They're forced molting, they're de-beaking. I mean, and, and also these and genetically animals... genetically modifying... I'm sorry,
0: genetically modifying the oh, absolutely! Birds to grow. It's a
4: horror show. It's an absolute horror show, and it is appalling to me that there are animal advocates who are promoting this sort of stuff, and who you know who are are taken you know I mean who are taken seriously. But you know, then again, look at our political situation and who gets taken seriously. So I guess.
0: Oh uh, yeah, yeah. There's there's bad stuff everywhere. Um, I want to shift gears just real quick, Gary. We have sure. a. Um, I know I know you know all about proposition two in California, indeed, I do We have a proposition here in Massachusetts, um, which doesn 't have to do with food animals, but it does have to do with animals um, and it 's the about um dog racing the greyhound racing yeah it 's uh, it's something that is getting talked about here in Massachusetts, and I just wanted to know how you feel about propositions to, like, abolish dog racing or something like that, which isn't...
4: You know, it it depends what you mean by... I mean, I'm not a big fan of single-issue campaigns. For the reason that I think that, you know, single-issue campaigns um, send the wrong message to people. It it suggests that um, certain forms of exploitation are morally distinguishable from other forms of exploitation. And I'm not, I just, I think that sort of sends the wrong message. Um, and I also think, you know, they're not cost effective. Most of the time, you know, they involve a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of money. And then they get compromised. Uh, they don't, they're not enforced. They get repealed. Um, you know, the, the history of, of regulating, the history of animal welfare laws um, is is a, is, a, is a very sorry history indeed. As far as I don't know. I haven't read the... I heard about the, the greyhound uh, situation that you have up there, although I haven't looked at the at the proposal. Um, I am very much familiar with proposition 2. To call it absurd is um, would be the highest price I could give <laughs> to it. I mean, it will do nothing um, to help animals. First of all, it doesn't come into effect for, what, seven years? I don't have it in front of me, but it, it, it doesn't come into effect for, for a long time. Um, and all it will do is... Um, uh, again, make people feel feel better about eating animals produced in California. It is not, there are so many exceptions um, to it. It will, if it ever comes into a force, a force and I don't think it, it ever will, just like I don't think that the um Grab ban that they have in California, uh, which is supposed to come into effect in 2012, my guess is that's never going to come into effect either. So I don't think these things, I mean, they, they're, they're absurd pieces of legislation. As a matter of fact, I use them um, uh, I use them as teaching tools to sort of show students what really absurd pieces of legislation look like. <laughs> because uh, some of these things are, are really dramatically bad. And, and given, you know, given that a lot of legislation is bad, these things really do stand out in a field of bad legislation. But I think Proposition 2 is a, is a, is a disaster, um, and I don't think advocates should support it. I think that people who are serious should send a very clear message to organizations like um, HSUS, that they should perhaps take some of their two hundred and twenty-five billion or million dollars that they're sitting on top of, which is basically a quarter of a billion dollars, that or almost a quarter of a billion dollars, um, and they, they should they should do some serious things uh, and stop promoting this sort of stuff, and you know getting people to you know uh, th- it, these are fundraising gimmicks. I mean that's what these things are. They're fundraising gimmicks. Gary,
2: and have so, you have, have you ever been able to just be in a room with say like Gene Bauer or uh, Wayne Wayne Purcell? And just, sure. and just talk I, to
4: them? Obviously, I, you, you don't know. You don't, look, I've been doing this for 30 years almost. <laughs> I used to be PETA's lawyer. So Ingrid Newkirk wow. and Alex Pacheco oh, I didn't uh, know were, were once very good friends of mine. And I know Gene Bauer real well and Laurie Bowston, and Wayne, Wayne I knew Wayne Pacell when he was working at Fun for Animals. I, mean, I knew him when that. he was in diapers. <laughs> okay, I mean, well, I've known Wayne Pacell for a long time. Yeah. I, mean, so I know these people. And you know what? It's not that I think that they're bad. I'm not saying that they're bad people. Um, you know I, I just think they 're wrong right, and I think they 've talked themselves into, which is not you know it 's not uncommon for people who are involved in big money enterprises to basically and and, and you know who are into these these um, these sorts of scenes that they 're into that, that they can talk themselves into believing that what, you know that they 're doing god 's work and and you know i mean i'm sure i mean i 've known Wayne for a long time and and i 'm sure that Wayne thinks that prop is i 'm sure Paul Shapiro thinks that you know that that um, Proposition two is a good idea. I, I, I just don't see it. I mean, I don't see it. And what troubles me about them is there's no discussion in this movement because discussion, you know, discussion, discussion takes away from fundraising. But there's <laughs> no debate and discussion because you know. I mean, I I, I um, was on uh, what's his name's Bob Linden's show mm-hmm, and vegan. and uh, invited. You know, I said, look, I said, you know, because. Bob was asking me some questions about Proposition Two. I said, look, why don't you have Wayne on, and let's talk about it. Yeah. Let's debate it. He wouldn't do it. Really? Um, you know, and uh, uh, some, uh, somebody else tried to set up a debate between uh, me and Singer, and Singer said, no, he wouldn't do it because animal advocates shouldn't fight with each other. They should just yeah. focus on animals. It's not a question of fighting, or it's a, it's a question of debating. I think Peter's wrong. I think right. Peter's very wrong. I mean, I think Peter's idea that animals don't have an interest in continued life so that killing them doesn't raise the moral problem, the problem is suffering, I think it is wrong. And I think that that is at the root of a good deal of the difficulty that we're having now, is is that our movement, or the the movement, is informed by this notion that killing animals isn't the problem. The problem is suffering. So it's not a problem that we're using them. It's a problem how we're using them. And, and so, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, th- I think that there ought to be all sorts of debate and discussion about these things. Absolutely. And, and, but they don't want to do it. Right. They don't want to do it. And I understand why they don't want to do it, because you know what? What can you say in favor of proposition to? All you can say is that, well, it's a step. It's a step. Oh, really? It's a step. Okay. Well, tell me. Give me one example of a situation in which we've had animal welfare loss for 200 years, Show me one empirical, historical example where the regulation of exploitation has done anything but increase animal use. As a historical matter, as a factual matter, has not led to abolition. So, so you know, I mean, yeah. so I guess you know, what are they going to say? But having said that, I'm sure that Wayne and Paul and Ingrid and uh, I guess Alex is not involved with Pete anymore. But, but um, you know, uh, all of these folks you know, I, I'm sure that they, they think that, um, you know, they're they're doing good work. They're just wrong, that's all. <laughs> I, I
1: wonder um, what you might say about uh, people who might say that, well, abolition, you know, it's an all-or-nothing approach, and with, you know, huge multinational corporations, McDonald's and others, KFC, yep. uh, just relying on animal exploitation, how can it ever be got rid of at all? If uh, people
4: stop consuming the products, they go, go away. Right. I mean remember capitalists yeah. don't really care what they're putting them. I mean and McDonald's has no has no vested interest in in produce. I mean the shareholders of McDonald's don't care where they where how the money is being used. They just care about the return. If 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 demand goes down, then uh, people put their capital elsewhere. So, you know, I mean it it, it, it is the is the is the, the job a a very large job. The answer is yeah, sure it is. Because, I mean, really, I sort of think about it as, um, I mean, I'm very, very committed to the notion of ahimsa, nonviolence, um, and, and, um, and I, 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 very much, you know, see animal exploitation as part of a, um, you know, as part of a, of a global problem, you know, or, or it's part of the human condition of violence, you know, I mean, we're, 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 violent. And, uh, not just towards animals, but, you know, uh, not, not towards just non-human animals, but towards human animals as well. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, the general problem of peace is a, is a real, real, you know, tough one, but that doesn't mean, you know, that we don't have to work toward it. And that doesn't mean we we shouldn't be clear about it. The one thing that, you know, I've been a, a professor now for, I guess, 25 years and, um, you know, education, um, is challenging. And one of the things that we really need to do is to make things, um, understandable and comprehensible to people. And and I think we need we need to be clear. And one of the things I like about you know the approach I've been developing, the abolitionist approach, is it's really very clear. Um, it basically says we cannot justify our our exploitation of nonhumans. There is no moral justification that killing them is wrong. It's making them suffer is wrong, but but killing them is wrong as well. And certain forms of slavery may be better than other forms of slavery, but no form of slavery is morally justifiable. And so. Um, Therefore, we ought to move in the direction of abolishing animal use, and the way we do that is through veganism, which is applying the principle of, of abolition to one's individual life. It's nonviolence in action, in, in a sense, and um, it really is. Uh, it, it, it's, it's quite. Let me just close my door here because <laughs> my my nine, my my we'll human up. companions, all of whom, by the way, I want to say are vegans. All of our dogs are vegans yeah. and, and have been. For, you know, I mean, and and I, you know, people always ask me. Are your dog's healthy because they're being I have a dog who's we can't figure out exactly how old he is, but he's, <laughs> he's going on nineteen,
3: <laughs> and wow. and
4: and um you know we've had him for nine years, and he was at least ten when we got him, and he's blind, and he's had a couple of uh of uh, uh of dog strokes that uh, what they call uh, uh old dog uh, vestibular disease, and uh, but he's still kicking. He's got the blood work of a puppy. Um, we've gotten dogs. All of our dogs have been res- rescued dogs. Obviously, we, we we don't we don't go to pet shops, and um, we get rescued dogs. and We've had a number of dogs with health problems who have lived remarkably healthy and good lives. Um, all of them on vegan diet. But um, in any event, so no, I, I mean I, I understand your question. Yeah, it, it, it's yeah, it's rough. There's a lot of multinational corporations out there, and there's a lot of stuff. Uh, there's there's a lot of um uh, of of, of uh, uh, of things that we need to address, B- but we're not addressing them through welfare. That's clear to me. I mean, it's, it's sort of like saying, "Well, yeah, it's a tough job, right. but but that doesn't mean that we ought to we ought to be promoting." And I'm not saying that you're saying this, but I'm saying, you know, but, but but there are people in the movement who are that you know, oh yes, it's a really insurmountable task. So we've got to do it through welfare. And the answer is, well, wait a minute. It is an insert. It's a very very large task. I don't know what I call it insurmountable. But, I mean, it is a very significant task. But that doesn't mean we're ever going to get anywhere through welfare because, you know, the evidence is clear. It's not doing anything.
1: Well, I think what people envision is that, uh, you know, there'll be somehow some uh, cabal will be able to set up laws that make uh, the production of meat illegal and then suddenly they'll all be abolished. Whereas that's not at all what you're talking about. You're talking about really just changing people.
4: Oh no, no, no. People. I'm not you know, look, I'm a law professor and I you know, but I I have been saying for years the law is not going to the law is not gonna you're not we're not gonna get I mean look if you want a revolution tomorrow um you, you know yes, it's I do then, then pass, law, pass <laughs> the law Lead it Gary, lead it pass the law that says you can't you can't um you know eat meat or something like that. Um, and you would have people in the streets. I mean, or, or have a law, I'll tell you something, have a law that, 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 um, that got rid of intensive agriculture in any significant way, thus driving up the price of meat in, any, in, 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 in a significant way, uh, and other animal products. You'd have, you'd have massive political resistance to that. You, this is not something that's going to be won in the courts of law. Law is, is an inherently conservative device. The law has never, um, the law never leads. In, in any moral struggle it follows. The only the only time in my life as a lawyer where the law has actually gotten out in front of moral consensus was with abortion in 1973, and we see what's happened to that. I mean, basically, yeah. Roe versus Wade has been chipped away from the moment it was handed down. So, you know, the, the law is a very conservative instrument. It doesn't lead, it follows. The, the, the law is not gonna be, you know, in, in the forefront here. This is a moral question. You need to change, you need to shift the moral paradigm. That's what needs to be done. That's absolutely clear. You need to get people. And you know what? It's, it's difficult, but it's not as difficult as you think it is because remember something. Most people, most people have had close contact and relationships with non human animals in their lives. More than half of the people in this country live with a non human companion and love them. And so, now, I'm not, you know, I mean, I, I don't believe that we, we got to have to, I mean, you know, I think we got to give homes to the animals that we have. I don't think we should continue breeding them so that we can have companion animals, but the reality is we do have them, and we've had, we've had them for a long time. And people love them. And what you really need to focus people's attention on, and I do this all the time, it's a very effective pedagogical device. You know, sort of go into a room of students or, you know, people that I'm giving a talk to and say, how many people in this room have, have a dog or a cat or some other non-human animals they love and member of their family and whatnot. And, you know, you have a bunch of hands. go. Most, most people in the room put their hands up. And, you know, and I, I ask them questions about their dog or their cat or their bird or whatever they have, and, and, and they tell these stories. And I sort of let that go for a while. And, and then I say, well, you know, so you, you, you recognize that, you know, you love your, you know, you, you love your animal, right? right? Absolutely. And you realize that, you know, even though your animal is, the pro- is your property, it, you know, it's a very different sort of property from your car, or your stereo, or your iPod, or whatever it el- else is that you own that you like. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you realize that your animal is sentient, and and,
0: and, and is. I think Scott likes his iPod as much as his cat. It's true. I, I, would, <laughs> I would never
1: abuse my iPod.
4: Right, you, I'm sorry. I, I knew I was getting into risky <laughs> territory there. And and um, and you know, so I sort of like to go for. And and then you know, pe- and people, everybody, oh yes, absolutely, absolutely. And and then I say okay. Well, now somebody tell me what the difference is between the animal that you love, who's a member of your family, and the cow that you're sticking a fork into. Can somebody tell me what the difference is? And you know, and then you know, Ooh,
1: I know, I know. I don't care about the cow. <laughs>
4: um, yes, you, you do know say. what? I never oh, did that. I mean, I mean, what I what I get is, you mm. know, sometimes I hear, you know, people will say, but but well, you know, I don't know the cow. And I say, well, you know, you don't you don't know you don't know you know. Someone else's child, but does that mean it's all right for that for, for that child? And you might favor your child over the other child, or, you know, over over your neighbor's child. But we would agree that it would be wrong to kill either child or any child. And and so you know, but 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 it it is remarkable to me um, the sorts of responses that I get and have been getting. Um, you know, uh, 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 I mean, I have a, a new book out that came out in May: "Animals as Persons," and. And by the way, I wanted to tell you all to share some news with you that um, Columbia University, which is probably one of the best um, academic presses in the United States, certainly one of the top ones, is um, going to have a new series that I'm going to co-edit with uh, Professor Gary Steiner from Bucknell University uh, on animal ethics. And um, so that's, that's really good. I mean, it's a, you know, major, a major press that is um, interested in developing more progressive uh, literature on, um, on, on animal issues so that we're we're very very, very excited about that but um but in any event, so you know that that book came out in may, and um you know it, it, it's i'm getting i would say you know i mean I, it's hard to tell I mean I could count them, but you know i mean i'm getting a lot of emails and letters from people who are reading the book and who are saying, as I told you before, you know i didn 't think about it that way i have a I have an essay in the beginning of the book about saying that. You know, the welfareist position is, you know, focuses on how we treat animals um, and doesn't do very much to help that, but it focuses on that, whereas the abolitionist position focuses on our use of animals and, and, and recognizes that we have no justification for our use of animals, however humanely we treat them. Not that we treat them humanely, but, but even if we did, it wouldn't address the, the fundamental moral question. Yes, it would be better if we were more humane slave owners, but it wouldn't address the underlying morality of slavery. Straight and, at the and roots. you know, when people, when people sort of are confronted with that and that sort of analysis, you know, I, it's, it's only because they don't really ha- I mean, you know, there's really not a lot out there that sort of helps them think clearly about the issue. I mean, you know, when I started talking about Proposition 2, I got flooded. I mean, some people were, <laughs> I, 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 can, I admit, some people were very angry with the position I was taking about, about Proposition 2. Indeed, some were very, very angry and sent me very unkind emails <laughs>
1: um,
4: very unkind nasty email um, but but, but uh, many more people um, probably five to one you know were writing saying gee you know I, I've never thought about it that way before you know I had one guy who was a, a big supporter of proposition 2 and and he, he stopped supporting it he was a big fundraiser for it and he stopped supporting it and he said this is absurd I agree you know he said I didn't realize it that you know I mean people don't read they don't read these things I mean, we know Paul Shapiro or Wayne Pacell, you know, come and tell them, this is, you know, this is, this is going to help animals. This is great. This is going to help animals. And say, Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay, fine. We'll support this. People don't bother reading the thing. I mean, it's only three pages long, and it's not that complicated, but people don't read the thing. I saw you have it posted on
0: your website. I'm sorry? I saw you had the whole thing posted on your website. Yes, I know. It do I mean, you know, it
4: didn't take very, you know, very many bites. I mean, it's only three pages or whatever it is long. And, but people don't read that stuff. They don't realize that there are a lot of exceptions. They don't realize that that this is you know this is something that doesn't come into force for a long time. They don't realize, you know, they just don't realize this sort of stuff.
1: Well, it seems you know? like and, people are, especially animal advocates, are in a catch twenty-two because if they don't support it, they seem to be not supporting the either idea, and they want to go in that direction, and so they support what is available.
4: Yeah, but you know, I, I, I understand. I understand the. Uh, that was Scott, right, Derek? Yes. yes, yes. Okay. Um, Scott, I understand the, <laughs> the motivation and the impulse. I understand it. But the bottom line is, if Proposition 2 passes, it will not only not help any animal. It, it won't. It can't help any animals until it comes into force, and it doesn't come into force um, for a while. I don't have it in front of me. And, uh, and um, I'm probably older than all you people, so help, help a guy with a fading memory. <laughs> um, 2015. Yeah, okay, 2015. Alright, so it doesn't come into effect until 2015. Thank you, Derek. And, and, um, uh, it doesn't come into effect till then. So it can't help any animals till then. But even when it does come into effect, it won't help any animals. Um, not in any significant way, but, but the more important point is that by making, by putting an imprimatur of, you know, Farm Sanctuary and HSUS and all these other people who are supporting this nonsense, um, by putting an imprimatur on on California animal agriculture, it's going to make people feel better about consuming animal products. It's going to, I mean, the empirical evidence is clear. I mean, it's not a question of my theory or my opinion. It's a question of the facts. The facts are clear. We are witnessing a happy meat uh, 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 phenomenon right now where you are watching, you are seeing people who haven't eaten animal products or at least some animal products in some number of years who are returning to that. You are seeing the market for these things, uh, mushrooming. Um, So, I mean, you know, if, if, if the result, if the net result of Proposition 2 is that more animal products get consumed and not fewer, well, then what sort of victory is that? What sort of incremental step is that? And you know, and, I mean, point. so I mean, when when you have a, a well, supermarket but... chain in Britain that has a sixty percent increase in the sale of its higher welfare quote higher welfare that's not that's not my expression it's theirs right. but in, in the in the sale of their higher welfare chickens, what sort of victory is that?
1: Yeah, a political, I suppose what happens is you get these political victories which give the appearance and everyone's all, you know, living in that particular mind space and they just don't see the actualities.
4: What happens is, you know, it's like when I go to my mailbox at the university, you know, there's always like six million, you know, pieces of mail from every animal organization on the planet all claiming victory for the same things, and all telling me I can stop all the atrocities if only I sit and write my check. And, you know, and basically these corporations have turned, you know, and, and they're all this way. I mean, you know, they're, they're basically, I mean, you know, the, all the national organizations um, are this way. They've turned out, and activism has become check writing. You know, give your money, stop the atrocities, we'll do it for you.
0: Couch activism.
4: Sorry? It's
0: activism from the couch.
4: That's right. That's right, and that's, that's why we're, you know, and you know what? That's not only the reason why we are in the mess we're in with the animal situation. It's the reason why we're in the mess we're in as a general situation. Um, you know, a general problem. But, but, you know, so I think that, you know, um, and, and remember, it's also, it's a, it's a, you know, we don't live in a world of unlimited time and resources. You know, every dollar that we're spending on, on, uh, on these welfare campaigns is a dollar less uh, and and a minute less of time that we're spending on vegan education. I mean, can you imagine if you had an organization like HSUS with with a with a uh, uh, sitting on top of two hundred and twenty three million dollars and an annual revenue of of one hundred and twenty five million? If an organization like that were to put substantial revenues into vegan education, now of course that would that would uh, uh, perhaps irritate a number of their members. I'm sure most of whom are not. Um, Probably never even saw the word vegetarian or vegan, let alone are. But, um, because uh, then I mean, it's very much, it's, uh, it's, a, it's very much of a dog and cat organization. But, but, um, but it, it, can you imagine what would happen if they put that time and energy into in the money into vegan education? What sort of effect that? Just,
1: that'd be great. And, s- and school lunch reform, things like that would be awesome. Uh, yeah,
4: I mean, it would be, I mean, I mean, really. Why not have, I mean, I've been trying to get these people for years to sort of do a, a vegan one, two, three campaign. You know, I mean, b- a, just a big educational campaign. You know, go vegan. If you can't go vegan right away, here, here's, here are three easy, you know, here, these are easy steps for you to take to go vegan. But make it clear that the problem is using animals, not tr- that we, we're deluding ourselves. And, and by, by thinking that the problem is how we treat them, because then, then the goal becomes to make the treatment better. And that's the problem. And so, so you know, and Singer, I mean, I mean, part of the problem, I mean, you, you know, you, you know the, the intellectual blame for this. Is is you know is, is Peter's because I mean this is what Peter's been arguing for years. Yeah, they don't
1: help. even get me started on Peter Singer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Gary,
2: Gary, we we have to wrap it up. We're coming to a close. But um, one thing that you mentioned in your website that I just want to close with is that every opportunity um, is an opportunity to to do vegan outreach or education. Um, every time you meet somebody, um, you're in an airport, you're in the doctor's line, you're whatever. That's like a chance for you to to do some education. And there I there has
4: never been a day. Megan, um, in the past 30 years, where I have gotten up in the morning and gone to bed that night without talking with, to somebody about veganism. Awesome. Do it every single day, and you know what? You plant lots of seeds. Some of them grow, some of them don't, but they're there. And some of them it takes a while, but but um, you'd be surprised what vegan education can do. Thank you for all of your efforts, and I hope people will visit our you know the website that Anna and I have, www.abolitionistapproach.com. And, um, and they can read all sorts of stuff there. And we've got little video presentations w- 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 in which we have tried to make these things really simple and accessible. And we have them in multiple languages, and we're adding more and more languages. <laughs> There's quite a bit of interest in this in Europe, um, and, um, and quite a bit. And, and, so, uh,
2: and the name of your book, your
3: newest is book? Animals
4: as Persons, Essays on the Exploitation of, animal ab- ab- er, the, uh, exploitation of Animals. Um, and it's uh, published by Columbia University Press, and there's more information about it on the website.
0: Awesome. Okay, right. thanks so much, Gary. Thank it's you, been everybody, really for great great having me. Having I you. hope
4: I can talk to you again sometime. Yes. Oh, you definitely will be Take able care. To. All right, take care. Bye-bye.
0: Viva uh, revolution. <laughs> <laughs> so that was uh, Gary Francione. The, the website, again, is This You've been listening to Vegan Radio on Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP, Northampton, 103.3.
1: Vegan Radio because the animals are listening too.